0: This is Philip Tudor of the Anniston Star, and this is Star Talk, our new podcast for 2020. Today's podcast guests are Lewis Bass, CEO of Regional Medical Center here in Anniston, and Dr. Raul Magadia, an infectious disease specialist at RMC. Our two guests will discuss today the global pandemic of the coronavirus and the COVID-19 disease that it's causing and our local response here in the county. And here's the interview. Thank you for coming, Mr. Bass and Dr. Magadia. Um, We're taping this on Wednesday, uh, the 18th of March, Uh, and we've had some news today. Here in Calhoun County, we've had our first case of COVID-19, according to the uh, EMA director. He told us that this morning. And there's now the testing site outside at the Regional Medical Center facility. Uh, Lewis, can you walk us through that procedure? How did that testing site end up at RMC, and when did you open it?
1: Well, we opened it on yesterday, actually, okay. is when we opened it up. Uh, the idea came about, I think, just you know, we, when we knew it was about time. Is was actually a week, two weeks ago. We sat down over the weekend. I, I sat down with uh, Senator Marsh and uh, John Blue and Rodney Sneed and to talk about what could RMC possibly do. Uh, our goal was to try to keep people from coming to the emergency room and also to give people an option, a place where they could go, where they didn't have to go. And you know, Dr. Snead, obviously, owning a urgent care, was concerned with people coming to his office. So I think it kind of was birthed out of there. It morphed. There were several iterations of it before mm-hmm. we decided on the uh, drive-through clinic mm-hmm. and talking with Dr. Magadia and seeing how successful that was in South Korea. And the fact that we, we were struggling with trying to find a... A negative pressure room where we could do testing and screening and so we arrived at that as our uh, our best option.
0: Is this is it staffed by RMC staff or is it yes the it's people R- who are there are they RMC employees? They
1: are RMC employees um, right now we just have uh, folks that are taking the swab doing mm-hmm. the swab for those who because the way it's set up right now is you must have a physician's order to be screened. And that's
0: important to know. You can't just, if I want to go be tested today, I can't just drive through and say, hey, swab me.
1: That's correct. You yeah. have to have a physician's order. And right. so when you drive up, we've already collected all of your data. Uh, you drive up, they ask you a couple of quick questions just to make sure you are who you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, they swab you. Uh, the test probably, you're in and out of there in probably five, ten, 10 minutes, minutes yeah. at the most. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it's a very quick, very efficient way of doing it. Does the person it. have to get out of their car? No. They, they stay s- in their car? They just stay in their car. We walk up. Our folks are fully garbed up with mm-hmm. the, all the appropriate personal protective equipment, and uh, they do everything. You All you do is roll down your window. And, and the test, I'm assuming, will follow under, fall under the insurance
0: requirements of that person and their doctor. It, it, it will, right. yes. They, they, they don't have to present a copay or something when yeah. they drive through the that's the correct.
1: There's, there's no copay. Generally, what they have done is they have gone to their doctor. The doctor has sent us their insurance information. We send that on to the laboratory. Okay. Um, if it goes to the state lab, we think it's free. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it goes to one of the uh, commercial laboratories, such as Quest right. or Assurance out of Birmingham, then they will take care of billing. For okay. each of those tests, okay. but no, no out-of-pocket money at the time of the test,
0: doctor. I wanted to ask you about an assumption that I have. I'm not a doctor. I have clearly, I have no medical training, but I have been under the assumption that we probably have a lot of cases, whether in Calhoun County, Saint Clair County, Talladega County, but around us, and we just haven't heard for whatever reason yet. I'm totally could be totally wrong on that. I'm assuming you're not surprised that we've now had a positive
2: test. I'm not. So the, you could probably look at that this way. You're looking at a py- pyramid. And what we're, we're looking at right now with the positive cases that we have is just the tip of the pyramid. Okay. So we don't know how wide that base is because we haven't been testing up until maybe a week, a week or two weeks ago for whatever reason, political, logistical, financial, or kind of emotional reasons. We don't just don't want to know. But... As we are testing a lot of people, we're going to have a much more idea, much better idea, how many patients are, how many cases are positive because we're, we've been testing them. Now that we have, you know, uh, all the things that we have been talking about, case fatality rate, infectivity rate, will 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 change because then the denominator will change. So that's. Basically, the reason it's all coming back from basic biostatistics that we have—we uh, have this much fatality rate because we don't, we just don't uh, have X amount of cases. So that's the—that's basically the idea behind that. Doctor, given your specialty
0: in infectious mm-hmm. medicine and study of it and treatment, what is your role in this in terms of? What we're dealing with the pandemic in Calhoun County. What what do, what are you doing in this? So one situation? of the uh,
2: the hats that I wear in the hospital is I'm the chairman of infection control slash prevention. Uh, there's a committee we meet uh, every three or four months. Is uh, this a county committee? No, it's this it's is a, a uh, hospital, hospital committee. Okay. Uh, although, also I'm part of that infectious disease task force that uh, we have at Calhoun County right. level. Uh, We started that about two and a half, three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So I'm part of that as well from the medical standpoint. So part of my uh, role in the hospital, obviously, is making sure that we don't have outbreaks like this in a hospital setting. So one of the parameters that we use uh, or somebody else's use, meaning third-party co-payers, CMS, Medicare, Blue Cross, is hospital-acquired infection. Uh, we, we pride ourselves, the hospital and the staff, we pride ourselves in having uh, one of the lowest uh, hospital-acquired uh, infection rates, way, I mean, what, way below. What, what, is, what is that rate? Explain that to me, I'm so, not familiar with that. So the, the rate is, you know, for X amount of patients admitted in the hospital, how many patients do uh, get infected beyond 48 hours. So if they come in and they get some kind of infection within the first 48 hours, that doesn't count. It's not a hospital-acquired infection. It's still part of, you know, the reason why you came into the hospital. Right. Whether you had fevers, you have pain, somewhere. had. So that 48-hour period, because for the most part, the incubation period of an infection is within that time frame. Okay. So past that, uh, you can make an argument that it might be uh, something that they did not come in with uh, the patients, and they would. You know that rate that the infection might have been caused by you know while they were in the hospital, and we pride ourselves in having a very low hospital acquired infection. That being said, that committee is in charge of that. We have a team of physicians, including myself, and nurses specifically trained for infection control and hospital epidemiology. We crack down the us. We at the committee level. We make some recommendations of what foam or what you know wipes to uh, to use, and we have that even prior to this pandemic. You know that's kind of basic stuff that uh, a joint commission will actually require of a hospital. So that you know this pandemic kind of is a, a something that I would not really like to say we're trained for it, but we know what to do with uh, cases like this because we had some kind of background knowledge what to do in, in 2014, 2015 when we had Ebola uh, scare. Uh, you are familiar with that when mm-hmm. uh, I think 11 cases somehow made it to here in the States. And in 2002, 2003 when we had the SARS outbreak mm-hmm. in, in Canada, none since 2014. But any at any rate, the, that community is responsible now. So we're, we are now front and center of what's going on right now. I have a team. Uh, a very able and capable uh, team of uh, nurses uh, reporting to me, giving numbers, reporting to uh, Mr. Bass here. And we, based on what we see number-wise, we make recommendations what to do. And also that committee is, you know, we check on CDC guidelines, WHO guidelines. So we're not just doing this because we want to do it. We're doing it based on, and you know, CDC guidelines change almost on a daily basis if not weekly basis. One thing that's interesting to me
0: is the fact that it's still, I guess, technically flu season for some patients. Mm -hmm. And it's now springtime, or technically springtime, but it's it's spring allergy season. And I'm one of those people that hates spring allergy season. (laughs) And I've seen things online that talks about the difficulty of maybe differentiating between is it Should you be tested for allergies? Should you be tested for flu? Should you be tested for this coronavirus? Because some of the symptoms seem to overlap a little bit. Doctor, is that a concern
2: of yours? Yes. Considering it's March and and what we're doing? They do overlap. You know, there's a little bit of subtle differences, though. You know, uh, the the flu or the influenza, you know, people will tell you, I was fine at uh, noontime and at 1 o'clock it all of a sudden my everything uh, was hurting you know even my toenails were hurting (laughs) so there's a sudden onset of Mm -hmm. of infection and that's basically related to the incubation period you know the flu uh, influenza the virus has has an incubation period of about 48 hours so you somebody's this on your face about two days later you get the flu muscle aches fevers Mm -hmm. Not so much with you know allergies. You know allergies. Right. You know you don't really get the fever, right. although you get the sniffles. You don't really get a lot of muscle aches with with uh, with uh, allergies. And you know there's no incubation period with that. But allergies. this is making your job more difficult. It's a little bit difficult. And and going back to the incubation period, the incubation period for this coronavirus, which technically is called SARS-CoV-2, mm-hmm. uh, compared to SARS-CoV-1, which caused causes uh, SARS in Canada, the right. one that we had in Canada, the incubation period is somewhere from 1 to 14 days. You know, everybody de- a- agreed on 5.1 days as a median, but I think everybody, you know, says it's about 14 days. That's why you hear about people doing self-quarantine for 14 right. days because of that incubation period. So I could be, I could have been exposed to it. I have no, to minimal symptoms. I could hop on the plane, go to Seattle, spend three days there. Hop on the plane, go to LA, you know, two, two three days there, and hop on a plane, go to New York. Within that two week period, I could have exposed somewhere from 300 to 500 people, hmm. and that makes this virus especially specifically unique because the incubation period is too long. It's very long compared to common cold, which is called rhinovirus, which has an incubation period of 12, 72 hours. The flu has an incubation period of 48 hours. Uh, And you know when you're sick with the flu. Sure. Because, you know, everybody knows, you know, I have the flu or I have the cold. With this coronavirus, you know, you might have a muscle leg you might have little sniffles, but you don't actually manifest fully in the span of that incubation period of 14 Mm -hmm. days. But everybody agrees that in about 90% of the time, people will have fevers. So in the absence of fevers, you probably don't have COVID-19.
0: Is the fever the, the, the thing so, that's the, yeah. the main
2: issue? It is. And, and a dry cough. In about 70% of the time, people will have dry cough. So com- in combination with a fever in about 90% mm-hmm. of the time and dry cough in 70% of the time, you could probably tease out. Ah, yeah, we might be dealing comp- uh, coupled with the fact that they might have been exposed or they have travel history. So the things that you know we we learn in medical school or any training that you have been to, uh, kind of kicks in in a high gear because yeah, you know we could tease out. But even an, uh, a clinician like myself, I've been an infectious disease specialist since two thousand one. It sometimes it's hard to tease that out because you know not everybody will. Be that ninety percent. Right. There is that ten percent. There's that thirty percent right. that, 30% that right. don't have dry cough. So that's you know some that's may kind of makes our kind of testing capacity as clinicians mm-hmm. a little bit challenging. Sure. Yeah.
0: Lewis I think this question will go to you, but it may be for the doctor also. Um, you know, one of the again many stories we hear are what seem to be almost horror stories from hospitals in New York, Seattle, San Francisco, Boston, maybe and they're talking about they don't have enough ventilators, they don't have enough masks, they don't have enough protective equipment for their nurses and doctors and so forth. You're CEO of RMC, Stringfellow, our local healthcare hospitals. Where do we stand on that? Do you have enough supplies of these items?
1: I think we have, what we've, we've looked at is, is we do have, you know, we have between the two hospitals, we have 24 ICU beds. And so we have adequate ventilators to cover... Those 24. Bedrooms. So you have ventilators for each of those 24. We could yes, mm-hmm. we we could do that if need be. Uh, we have uh, we have negative pressure rooms available through the hospital so that we could isolate patients. Is that at both um, Stringfellow um, and RMC or just RMC? Springfield has two, I believe, two or three. In okay. RMC, we have nine of which. Two of them I wouldn't consider that we would use. One is in the emergency room. Mm-hmm. We have another location within the hospital that, if necessary, we could convert to negative pressure, which could give us another probably eight to ten more rooms.
2: And the negative pressure is important. Why? So um, the negative pressure room is uh, is a CDC recommendation. So I, I just have to clarify that two. Uh, recommendations by two governing bodies. The WHO, mm-hmm. because they have to uh, uh, recommend for the rest of the world, they recommend contact and droplet. Droplet means you can just uh, get away with wearing masks, you don't have to necessarily put them on a negative pressure room. A negative pressure room is a specially kind of formulated, specially designed room. You know the, uh, the circulation of air is this much, and you, know, you cannot, you can, you have to have double rooms. And they realize WHO realized that not every place in the world could have that. You know, especially in those places which might have uh, easy uh, healthcare delivery. CDC though has uh, this recommendation. They said it's contact, uh, droplet, and airborne. Airborne mean you have to put them on negative pressure room. You know that uh, you know have to have the double room and things like that. And, and the idea behind that is these patients are so sick that they might crash and burn. That's a medical term, by the way. Um, <laughs> that you know you you could you know you could have them breathing on room air. Uh, one minute and then uh, a second later they're gasping for air and they you have to intubate them right. put a, uh, a breathing machine on them and during that process of intubating maybe doing a CPR you're generating aerosol so you are potentially uh, putting your staff members, nurses, doctors techs in danger of getting uh, them exposed and we don't want that so that's the idea behind that and there's also some uh, uh, several um, uh, procedures that we do on those patients, we might have to look into the inside the lungs, called bronchoscopy. We might have to do a uh, uh, what we call a non-invasive positive pressure ventilation, where there's uh, air coming uh, uh, through a very large uh, pressure, and those things like that. So that's the reason why we recommend here the US CDC at least. At least uh, the last time I checked, uh, that you we put them on negative pressure room. The rest of the world. Not so much, you know. You know, not so stick recommendations.
0: So you you have twenty four ventilators. So I think is what you said. Right, we have enough to
1: cover each of our rooms. Do you wish you do
0: you wish you had more? I mean, is that? uh, I guess everybody, every every hospital administrator would love to have as many as you could get. Yes, I I, I think
1: ultimately that would be. You know, if this runs its course, and you know, if everything it turns into, say, Italy with what we've seen in other countries then the answer to that is sure yes we would like to have more but we, we have what we have and how is
0: your stock of of the n95 masks and the protective equipment um, for your right now we doctor?
1: for for dealing with where we where we're at right now we feel like we haven't uh, have a good stock of n95 masks we we feel like we have a good stock of ppe uh protective equipment um some of those run short i mean are running shorter than others but since we have constant consistent buying of that we are on on our allocation basis from our vendors Uh, one of the problems that you've seen for instance in the community is some of the ems providers as an example uh, they've been unable to get some of this personal protective equipment because they're they're not on a consistent buying pattern Hmm. with a with a a vendor so So what are they doing um, they're getting they're getting through a lot. Some of them, I think, right now are probably getting it through ADPH through the stockpile. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're they're working to give them that uh, that equipment. Um, also, uh, the the federal stockpile as they release that down, they're getting it. And then others are buying it from vendors, other vendors as well. But us having that does at this time ensure us that we're getting at least our uh, normal allocation. So in any crisis, you know you. you You could always use more, right? Sure, but I I don't think at this time that we uh, have—we're not—we have no shortage of any piece of uh, personal protective. But if
0: it got to be, it could be an nightmare situation. Certainly, 24 might not be enough.
1: Oh, oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think you know, I saw something. I was reading something this morning in Washington State. They had a picture of nursing staff making their own masks. Oh and making their own face shields because they had run out of that and, and hmm. so they were sitting at a desk I guess doing crafts making their own surgical masks it, so but that's we're not in at all in that anywhere near is, that is
0: your staffing of on nurses acceptable right now no at times you've had uh, shortages or and obviously you need people to work with right. patients if this thing gets it's as we're yes
1: yeah, we could always use more uh, but yes uh, as more and more patients flow into the facility, then uh, I, I would be, I'm very concerned about the nurse, our, our, our nursing staff, not just from the because scandal, of numbers. Well, not just from the numbers, the numbers are a concern, but we can take care of the patients. I'm more, I'm as much concerned about the fact that they're also trying to deal with home, home life. They're, they're dealing with kids that are now out of school and trying mm-hmm. to figure out what are they going to do with daycare. They're dealing with potentially spouses or loved ones that may and, not be working. And some of these so,
0: nurses in the, in the, in the hot spot, hospitals in these hot spots are working constantly.
1: Constantly. Just double
0: shifts, triple shifts. I mean, they, yes. they're
1: never going home. Yes. And so those kind of pressures from the outside put pressure on them and, mm-hmm. and perhaps their ability to fill shifts, much needed shifts right now. So... But we do, you know. Again, we could always use more nurses. That's that's a national issue, absolutely.
0: Doctor, you had mentioned something a few minutes ago about SARS and MERS. And
1: again, I'm a layman,
0: but it seems like you never hear, from my standpoint, working in journalism, I never hear about that anymore. Um, Whether that's accurate or not, I don't know. Do you have any sense about COVID nineteen? This this the disease caused by this coronavirus. If it will be kind of like that SARS and MERS, to where over time you won't hear about it, or is this? Do you think this will be something that will be with us for an indefinite period of time? So That's it, kind of a crystal
2: ball for you to look into. Yeah. So if I say yes to that answer, CNN will be coming to my house and say, "Ah, <laughs> oh, that guy predicted okay. it." So I'm not that, trying to get yeah, you in trouble. With yeah. CNN. The, 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 the answer to that is we are kind of relatively speaking to. Uh, close to and it's just we're just experiencing this and we all started uh, dealing with this in December of uh, last year so it's probably too early to say what the pattern is going to be at least with the flu we know when it's going to hit us we have a vaccine we have uh, some kind of medications for it we have no pattern to this thing yet uh, not that I'm saying that it's not going to go into pattern. It's not that I'm saying it's not okay. going to be seasonal. Because you yet. don't know. We don't know yet. Uh, I'm saying that that I don't know because, not because I don't know, it's because nobody knows. Right. It's so it's so new. That's why before we have the name for this virus, it's called ENCOVE 2019 or NOVEL, which is new, mm-hmm. Coronavirus 2019. Now we have an actual name, official name, it's still a relatively new virus to us, although uh, it has that coronavirus to it. So that family, we kind of know about them, the uh, the SARS-CoV-1 and the MERS-CoV, which uh, which Mm -hmm. cause uh, uh, MERS, or Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. Mm -hmm. We kind of know about that family of uh, viruses, but since this kind of evolved to a different one, uh, we don't know what pattern is going to uh, do. You know, we're probably about 12, you know, 16, 18 months out of the vaccine. So, right now, if this turns out to be a seasonal, so I think we're, we're sort of okay un- unless we get the vaccine sometime in January. But what if it, this becomes a perennial and annual thing? Mm-hmm. So, we're not going to be able to accelerate vaccine production or even vaccine trials. Uh-huh. Well, that, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm,
0: a, I'm amazed at what I've read uh, at reputable news sites that are reporting on how fast some of these scientists are working on medications, vaccines, mm-hmm. the clinical trials, and so forth. This is unheard of, is it not, in terms of the speed? Yeah. So, they've already made some gains mm-hmm.
2: in terms of trying to maybe have a vaccine at some point. So our colleagues in the academic uh Centers, you know, those big university cities have made significant strides in isolating the genome. And once you know the enemy, once you map the genome, mm-hmm. you could attack. You know, the weakness. You know, it might be seemingly their strength, but we could attack that and and, and find out. So. And once we know the genome, we could attack that, and we could have some kind of antibody. But the with vaccine of all the medications that we have available, you know, they all go through phase one, phase two, phase three mm-hmm. clinical trials. But uh, the with vaccine is kind of a kinda relatively wrong uh, trial because you have to have that volunteer, uh, typically a 25-year-old, a 30-year-old, a healthy volunteer. You have to get their blood, make sure that they're not immune to it, uh, nobody is to this at least to this virus. and then you give them the drug, you uh, inject them, and then you have them come back six weeks later, you have them come back three months later, you have them come back six months later. So you do testing. You cannot accelerate clinical trials compared to um, a, a drug, a pill, you could do a clinical trial right away. They're you know going back mm-hmm. uh, which brings me a segue to the uh, the pill that we have. It's a, a pill that might be available by in the next month or so, but still they're under, undergoing clinical trial. So far, the treatment is supportive. Right. Yeah, rest, fluids, and I'm 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 sure you have heard of the term social distancing. Yes, it's going to be part of our life now. So social distancing, flattening the curve. Right, uh, those are the sure. things that have been shown by different studies, including. Theoretical models, and even uh, some countries uh, with greater success to that, including Singapore, South Korea, and Toronto, uh, Canada, that social distancing actually works.
0: So, our last question. I'm going to hypothetical. Let's say I feel terrible. I think I have it. I may not be the smartest knife in the drawer. I may not have read everything I need to know, but I feel bad, and I'm scared by this this awful virus. What should I do in county? Other so, than driving up to your testing site and yeah, so
2: begging if, them to swab my nose. If you have a primary care uh, provider, call the primary care provider. And I think we have done, the uh, at least the RFC uh, hospital uh, staff, they, we have done a good job in disseminating this information that you know, if you have a patient calling you, so we prefer that they call their providers first. Hey, I have this and this and that. Why do and you know, want to call so we want them to call. We don't want them barging into their doctor's offices because they might have some patients there also waiting or being seen for a different reason. They're, they're due for their hypertension or diabetes check. They're not sick. So we don't want them cross-contaminating these patients. So we want to, them to call first. And that physician or that staff might be able to say, yeah, I think you might have it, but I don't want you coming here i'm gonna fax uh the hospital rmc this request form we have your information here your demographics and your uh, insurance information and then they will call you because they will leave a a a contact number and then you show up this uh, this time and and then you sit at home
0: so so i call my doctor Mm -hmm. i tell them my symptoms if they believe i should be tested they set that up yes Mm -hmm. and i would at that point drive at a pre-arranged whatever time they tell me to show
1: up, they would make a, a referral to our to our testing center. If okay. it's during the week, we're going to open up, be open Monday through Friday. Okay. If you have an issue after hours on the weekend, there is a number that right now we've been telling people to call the emergency room, but we're actually setting up another number. Okay. At the hospital, so the person could call, they could answer some questions, and if it was after hours. We would ask them to come to the emergency room to let us know that they're coming, right. and then when they arrive at the emergency room, we redirect them to a a, a separate entrance, right. okay. and we can actually screen them at that entrance. Okay. Uh,
0: if it's not on the weekend or after hours, I would go to my doctor. If he, you would call your doctor. I'd call, call my doctor. If he agreed, then he would. Go work with RMC to get me into to for me to drive to
2: your site. Right, and he would to be tested, was, and then, would then I would go home. home. Yes, and go home, stay home and stay home right. and until, and until I hear otherwise. I think you hear otherwise,
1: exactly. Okay. The only exception would be if you're sick enough. If if you get there and you truly have met admitting criteria, mm-hmm. then we would isolate you. That's a different scenario. That's yes. a different yeah. scenario. But right. if you're not at admitting criteria, then what you described is exactly right.
0: Well, Lewis and Doctor, I appreciate you guys being here today. This has been great. We may have you back again as this thing progresses, because I'm assuming it's not going to go away tomorrow. <laughs> uh, but anyway, again, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. thank you. Thank you. Thanks. I'd like to thank today's guests and remind our listeners that you can read all of the Star's coverage of the pandemic at anistonstar.com coronavirus. All of those stories are free to read, and they don't require a subscription. But we love our subscribers, and if you would like to become one, please go online to annistonstar.com slash subscribe. Thanks for listening.